Everybody and welcome to episode 381 of the Saturn Studs podcast. I'm Kurt, joined this week by my babyless co-host, Peter. <laughs> Child-free at 2023. Um, this is the, I am, I'm just, it's just going to be the Joey Vito edition. We're going to get him in while he's away. Um, <laughs> our, our co-host, Jake, is currently, <laughs> he is currently nursing his child. We're going to spend this whole episode talking about his kid and then forbid Jake from talking about his kid on the show. <laughs> Absolutely. I have no context of how any of it went. Jake just told us it's like 7 a.m. I got a he kid gave now. Us the issue. He gave us the uh, the um, uh, the info, uh, his stats. <laughs> yeah. And uh, <laughs> he gave us the... A little, little light on Constitution. I think he should have tried to re-roll that one, but... <laughs> You hit the, um, the <laughs> character <level one>. sheet. <laughs> you got to train those IVs. <laughs> or no, that's the EVs, right? Uh, he had the wrong egg move. <laughs> <laughs> got to throw this one out. <laughs> Give me a ditto. Um, yeah, so uh, we, we chomped down on some bubblegum cigars, which were uh, thankfully not like... They were Rocks. not Bazooka Sup- Joe Balsa Wood, as I expected Sup- them to be. Surprisingly uh, malleable. Yeah. Again, the box that I got them in when I ordered them looked like it came from, like, the back of a smoke shop and hadn't been opened since the 70s. Like, oh, we have this for the for the children's who walk into a cigar shop. There's yeah, a- I, uh... There's one at show. times when I was chewing it, I was like, I think I probably would have preferred a real cigar. <laughs> <laughs> but then again, it would have that would have meant that I would have been picking out a real cigar. And I don't think I want to I don't think anyone trusts me with that level of taste. If only you had many resources within your office I know. <laughs> with which to to pull information <laughs> from cigars. in this regard, I <laughs> can think of three names off the top of my head that would have given you a very honest and good recommendation. Yeah. Cigars and sports betting. That's the, <laughs> yeah. that's the front office way. Oh, they haven't they haven't been doing the sports betting so much lately. Maybe, they're waiting maybe for, the losses have, have mounted. Could be. Could be. I think they're waiting for basketball season though. Um we can we can have that's gonna say we have baby betting. <laughs> Get the calendar down for the for the milestones and don't tell. We should Jake. have at least done an over under on the weight. That's true. And set the weight at the national average, or set the over under at the national average. Yeah, which uh, I mean, we can we can rock that. We'll see what percentile is Jake's child in. Um, um, that's it's probably pretty middle of the pack. Seven eight is. Uh, Fairly normal. I was on the larger end. I was nine pounds as a baby. Nine pounds three ounces. Uh, all right. Uh, looks like it's it is seven pounds six ounces. So he is just S- over, slightly over. I mean, maybe if they had, maybe maybe he's an Audi, and if they'd cut him as an innie, he would have uh he would have made it <laughs> made made his weight class. <laughs> yeah, would have made weight. <laughs> 
That's the secret strategy. Is he cut it with too much umbilical to give him those <laughs> extra couple pounds? Actually, no, that's weight. No, that's you the wrong way. You want to cut down. Fighting yeah. above. Yeah, you don't want to be fighting above your weight. That that would be bad. That'd be silly. Yeah. <laughs> Shouldn't do that. Don't 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 ever do that. Don't rely on Peter for fighting advice. Virtual or real, um, you can rely on me. <laughs> For tray watch advice, yeah, boom, tray watch into it. Our I, uh, comma, I am trailer review. I, I don't know that I'm into a lot of what we we've got going on no, this week. There is a uh, lot was it of last it, week or the week before where every movie was like, "This looks pretty good." I I could see myself watching that. I think it was the. I want to see like two weeks ago. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is the exact opposite of that. Yeah, this, <laughs> this is, is just... We've got some drags going on here. We had to make some cuts because there were actually quite a few trailers this week. So one begins to wonder, are we... Uh, a lot of... Are we, yeah. are we not yet seeing the full effects of the writers and actors' strikes? Or... <laughs> or maybe um, we are. Yeah. <laughs> um, a lot of this was the Netflix... I think this was the Netflix uh, September releases or the uh, coming soon in the fall, because a lot of these were Netflix. Uh, like our first yeah. trailer, Leo, Adam Sandler, getting that uh, that Netflix money. Yeah, Adam Sandler um, continues to uh, refine his craft, not as an actor, but as a con man. <laughs> and he has figured out a way to collect a paycheck without ever having to leave his house. Yes. I'm pretty sure he, he just recorded this from his bedroom. He a thousand he put, percent. He put on the, the voice so he could talk like this. I'm going to collect a $30 million paycheck. I don't know if he does a podcast or is a guest on a podcast, but he had a, had a friend set him up with podcasting gear once, and now... He just he sends in his voice lines recorded right on his computer, <laughs> sends them into the studio, collects a paycheck for voicing the main character in an anime movie. Never has to leave his house. Yeah. I mean, Adam, I don't think Adam he knows Sandler, what movie he was in. They just said, "Hey, read these lines." Adam Sandler is the Brock Lesnar of <laughs> actors. So, like. True. This doesn't work. This doesn't work as great because Brock Lesnar is actually legitimately good at what he does. Um, mm -hmm. But the similarity is that they have both found a way to make the most amount of money for the least amount of work in their chosen profession, and yeah. they do it in such a way that you are just awestruck by the genius of it. <laughs> He's. You gotta admire the hustle. Uh, not of the not of the uh, visual artists, um, although it's not their fault. They said they said we have enough budget for an episode of Paw Patrol, <laughs> and we got Adam Sandler in on this. We had the budget to make a fully fledged like three D extravaganza, and then we hired Adam Sandler. <laughs> so uh, we're getting it's a step above reboot. With with yeah, so none of the uh, none of the story. To, to summarize, this is it's Adam Sandler is a lizard in like I don't know if he's in the school classroom 
and this is his adventure outside or he ends up in the school classroom on the adventure but it's i think he was just daydreaming in his and they were with his turtle friend uh, i assume they go on a finding nemo-esque adventure at some point yeah we see him like on a drone yeah, but so, like they cut, they fade that into like him daydreaming in the terrarium. So I'm I'm sure a yeah. lot of that's actually going to be in the movie because why would they bother to animate it otherwise? <laughs> yeah, I sorry, I gave I gave a a very startled look because I looked at the the uh, description and I saw the other actors in this movie and I was taken aback. Oh, Bill Burr, Jason Alexander. <laughs> Who could have thought? <laughs> that's, you know, that's uh, that's a real George Worlds colliding moment for me because I do I like Bill Burr and I like Jason Alexander individually. They're two great tastes, <laughs> but I don't. I never envision a world where they would go together. <laughs> there, I don't know if those energies. Yeah, those energies would would make a tough reaction. Oh no no no! I could I could definitely see Jason Alexander doing his like George you know flustered New Yorker bit, and then Bill Burr coming at him with his angry drunk Bostonian guy character, <laughs> and then just arguing as people from New York and Boston can do forever about everything. <laughs> you just get the uh, say the uh, socks. No, that's. Yeah. No, yeah, the Red yeah. Sox and the Yankees, okay, that's yep. big. And then Bruins and the Rangers yeah. hate each other, yeah. and the Knicks and the Celtics hate each other, <laughs> and the Jets and the Patriots definitely fucking hate each other. <laughs> the closest, it's the it's the tiniest rivalry the, in terms of distance-wise. You ever seen that picture of all the coastal cities, and they just tilt the coastline so it's just like one strip? It's the most amount of animosity per mile that you can get in terms of sports rivalries. Well, it's because we were the first ones to have sports teams because this is where all the people lived and still where most of the people live. (laughs) The only I don't know if there's anything I don't know if there's any real strong rivalries west of uh, west of like Minnesota. Like you have to go out to California, and then it does an overflow error, and it wraps around to the East Coast again, where you have the East West Coast rivalry. Yeah, I feel like you just have to get out to uh, California. I mean, there are some inner things with, but California is such a Johnny Come Lately to the sports world. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm aware the Giants and Dodgers moved out there in the '40s. They're Johnny Come Latelys, as far as I'm concerned. And if you threaten me, I'm gonna move to I'm gonna move to L.A. <laughs> California threatens with moving to L.A. Um, yeah, where hurricanes are now apparently a thing. That yeah, happens. that was a wild one. I uh, I didn't even know they called them hurricanes when they came out that way. I thought it was like typhoons when they came out of the Pacific. I'm not a meteorologist. So what was the name? of the, I think it was Hillary, right? Yeah, Hurricane Hillary, which is now exactly what I'm going to call my sister. <laughs> that's definitely, that's a perfect announcement. Hurricane Hillary. <laughs> Come on down. Uh, 
that's funnier than this movie. Um, I I may tune in just to see. I just want to see Bill Burr as a turtle. Bill I want to see. I, I just need, I need to see the scene where Bill Burr and Jason Alexander interact. It might break my brain. It might it might kill me. But yeah. we need to get in the lab to find out. <laughs> even if you know, even if we have to scan the movie ourselves. Oh God. Can't much like, fun. much like uh, Norman Osborn in Spider Man, I do not have time for the clinical trials. <laughs> we have to test the serum on me. <laughs> oh, sometimes the syrup gives us that. The syrup? What? I don't know. Um, speaking of, I don't know. Big name, big names in movies. Um. I'm just taking a turn. Where just, are you going with this? I don't know. I'm going to the moon. I'm going to the rebel moon. Okay. Um, that was not at all the like it that was my third choice of the three trailers that I have pulled up here. <laughs> <laughs> As to where you were going with that. You know, I'm a I'm a maverick. I'm a wild card. That's I uh, one way to put it. <laughs> I want to talk about Zack Snyder's new Snyderings. Yeah, Zack Snyder, I guess. Um, friendship with Warner Brothers Discovery over Netflix is my new best friend. <laughs> we get to have our own Dune. It's fucking. We've no, gone from you know Dune what? to Field. The 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 uh, Zack Snyder Netflix pairing. Actually, when I when I stop to think about it, it makes a ton of sense because now Zack Snyder can not be bound by like the need to have a movie releasable theatrically, and yeah. since it's on Netflix, it can't bomb at the box office. So his movies can be as bad as he wants them to be. He just like and as I said before, we even started when I got a first impression of this, I'm like, this is just Zack Snyder unleashed. Um, he, I really feel like he. This was a IP that he liked that was sufficiently obscure that no one's going to be angry f- for his changes to the source material. It's so. uh, it it reminds me a lot of another movie he did, Sucker Punch. Uh, yes, that does. Which... As I watched the the Spider Lady organic monster <laughs> fighting the double katana woman, uh, yes, it does remind me, in fact, a little bit of Sucker Punch. Uh, which I believe is based on something written. Um, this feels like it was a comic of some sort. Yeah, yeah. I mean, wh- whatever the case may be, I whether it's an obscure IP that he liked or a bizarre creation from the same fucking part of the world that brought us sucker punch um it's here and it is it's uh mm. it's a Zack snyder movie yeah. like there there are there are shots in this movie that like it's kind of quaint in a way because you can look at it and be like oh yeah he learned to do that in this movie and he learned to do that in this movie like there's a shot where they're on like a a knoll and there's like a lot of like crowd pushed in the background. I'm like, oh, that's from 300. <laughs> yep. 
and then he's, there's he's like katana ladies on a clearly CGI background, and it's like, oh, that's Sucker Punch. <laughs> there's the uh, there's the big gritty action war scene where the palette is nearly monochrome, and you go, oh, okay, yeah, that's Man of Steel. Yeah, that's Justice League. <laughs> this is. <laughs> Oh, this is part this, one, A Child of Fire. There's oh, there's a scene where it goes to four by three, and you're like, oh, that's the Snyder Cut. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, so in case you you still weren't convinced that this is a, a, a the comparison to Dune, Netflix's answer to Dune, uh, this is a going to be a two-part release. Uh, part one coming out in December. This is going to be a Christmas movie. Go oh. watch this for Christmas. Um, what a part- present, Zack Snyder. Part two, The Scar Giver, coming out April 19th, so you can watch part two on 420. Hey, you want to, you want to, you want to know what the last, like, I'm sure, I'm going to assume, going to go on a limb here and guess that Zack Snyder is an executive producer on this film. You want to know what the last Zack Snyder executively produced gem to come to us on Christmas was? What was, was Wonder it? Woman 1984? He was. Oh my! Can God. he keep the streak going? <laughs> this trailer can says, he yes. can he up the ante or lower the bar? However, <laughs> you want to look at it. <laughs> How are you the same animal, but a different beast? The fuck does that mean, Kobe Bryant? <laughs> oh, that's another one. God damn it! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's it's been a, it's been a rough one. It's been it's a rough been couple a, of years. Been a harrowing few years, as it turns out. Those of you who are watching this as soon as it comes out know what we're talking about, and we will get to that later in the show. Yes, um, it is in fact replacing a segment that we did not feel like preparing for. <laughs> yeah. Um. Speaking of things, I was not prepared for. Uh, Good Burger Two. Yeah, um, had to do a double take when I saw that in in the the list there. Um, there, there's a lot to unpack here. Okay, let's. Let, I guess the best place to start is at the beginning. Yep. Um, so Good Burger, which was a I believe direct to video release, uh, starring. Keenan Thompson, Kel Mitchell, and Abe Vigoda. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, that's that's amazing. The, the the places you'll reach. I don't know why I immediately thought of that clip of Ed Asner, where he's like, I'm Ed Asner. But he pulls out a knife. <laughs> wields it at the camera. Oh, it's just so fucking... <laughs> He's completely out of place in the movie because you're like, you were in The Godfather, man. What are you doing here? <laughs> the Godfather, the Good Burger. It's it all. It's all copacetic. Um, um, but Good Burger is is a childhood favorite of mine. It. Uh, I don't want to say it holds up because it, in many ways, it doesn't. But it is. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it is a a product of its time. And that is a time capsule back to a time where, uh, in my eyes, the world didn't suck as hard. Um, yeah. So I appreciate it for that reason. And uh, this is like, 
Good Burger came out in 1997. Yes. So. so it uh, <clears throat> may be uh, an inclusion in a certain uh, month yearly segment that we do. Um, yes. It could be present. Just wait, foreshadowing. Hold on. Wait, wait a second. <laughs> Have we never done good? That seems impossible. Nope. We never did Good Burger. Oh, geez. What an oversight on my part. Yeah. You would figure yeah. that had been like hot on the heels of Muppet Treasure Island if we're going through <laughs> the stacks of VHS tapes that I watched the, the most as a kid. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's because you knew, Kurt. We were precious. Yes. There was, there was a, I had a psychic tinge where my brain was like, no, 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 not yet. <laughs> Let this it go. This is going to be culturally relevant <laughs> again in a year <laughs> or two. <laughs> Sit on this. <laughs> so, all right. You know what? This is a trailer for us going to watch Good Burger this this 90s winter. Oh, a thousand percent. Um, so you don't get a lot here. You get the burger car, uh, the uh, I'm a dude song. Yep. Um, a lot of the same jokes, kind but, of jokes. But with, um, with Kel Mitchell making like the, the funniest joke in the trailer. Yes, being very literal as as uh, his character Ed, I believe. Um, yep, is um, they also show a clip of them all working on a good burger again, except the ones that are dead, which are a couple of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, like so we were talking we were talking before the show about like Keenan Thompson, the the long and are not storied. I can't call it storied. No, like he has very few that he made it up to here. Yeah, he has very like even on SNL, right? He's been on SNL forever. And he <coughs> might in fact be the longest tenured cast member in the history of the show. I don't know that for sure. I did just pull that straight out of my ass, but it feels true, so I'm going to commit to it. Yeah. Let's take a look at at Keenan Thompson's Thompson SNL length. But he's kind of just twenty been year, a character. Twenty years. Oh my fucking god! That's got to be a record. There's no fucking way. So yes. everyone else, <laughs> the the closest behind him was Daryl Hammond at fourteen. Yeah, years. I think Daryl Hammond was like I was. I knew he was the previous record holder at like fourteen or fifteen years. Um. Yep. Damn. Yeah, that's two thousand. He came on in two thousand three. Wow, that is nuts. Uh, but anyway, yeah, <laughs> he, he hasn't had a particularly storied event, and we were we were musing before the show about how it's so bizarre that like Kel was the one that faded into obscurity for the most part, even though he was by far the funnier of the two, the more dynamic member of that, and like he, not just like Goodberg, right? Like he. He is arguably the best part of Mystery Men. Yes. Um, no, no argument for me here. So, like, he he's a scene stealer. So, for nothing else, I'd be happy to watch this. We're watching this, by the way. Uh, yeah, we get, we kind of got. I mean, we saw Coming to America, too. Yeah, and in terms of like fondness for old movie like good burger ranks above coming to america in yeah. my lexicon yeah no um 
No. So yeah, we're, we're watch this, we'll see. and it should be. I don't know. I I honestly don't know <laughs> <laughs> what you do uh, with a. I mean, twenty five years later, right? Twenty fifth anniversary yep. sequel. Yeah, as I remarked again, just thinking about the careers, like this in particular for Keenan Thompson, has got to be the the entertainment equivalent of moving back in with your parents. <laughs> like it seems like he has he. He has to have done other stuff while he was in this, but like the way it shoots, you know, uh, shakes out to me, it was like this, you know, Good Burger, SNL, twenty years. He's been back to. He had like bit parts and things. I think he was in one of the barbershop sequels. Ironically, I believe starring oh, Ice uh, Cube. Yep. All right, <laughs> I'm gonna read you some of the movie titles that he was in since joining um since joining um snl he he came on to snl right off of master of disguise and uh big fat liar Oof. Um, so some of his hits include oh yeah the, the fat albert movie right he was fat albert in the fat albert movie right oh shit he was wasn't he yep uh then he was on snakes on a plane uh then he was on <laughs> space chimps remember that animated movie space chimps I honestly don't. <laughs> um, then he went to Wieners. Uh, then he was in Stan Helsing. The um, oh yeah, the the who, fucking the, two of the six writers of Scary Movie parody of yes. uh, Van Helsing. Yeah, whatever the whoever the directors are, those those ones. Um, the Smurfs, Magic of Belle Isle. That one's like a comedy drama. Okay, I'll that one. I'll give them. That's a legit one. Uh, Smurfs 2. Uh, they came together. <laughs> uh, the opposite sex. So this is 2014 around. Um, and I want to, I'm, I'm going through, like, as Peter's reading these, I'm mousing over the Wikipedia links to, like, pull up the posters and stuff. Yeah. He's not, like, starring in any of these. He's just, like, there. a secondary or tertiary character, yeah. which is a fitting summary of his career. <laughs> yep. Poor um, guy. Rock Dog, Brother Nature, Going in Style, uh, The Grinch 2018. Oh. Yep. Oh, I remember I watched that. Oh, yeah. I watched that in a theater. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my Fuck's God. my life come to? <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, yeah, all of 2018 through, like, 2020 he just said voice acting maybe that's that's the ticket i'm gonna do voice acting so he voice acted well, for one he's Park. got a he's got a comedic voice so play mobile I mean, the movie oh wait what that's yeah. out i thought that was in development no it came out 2019 okay <laughs> i remember it just sort of like plopped on out in the theaters all right, all right you know what i do kind of remember uh, seeing something for that and being like the what now? <laughs> yeah. Oh no. Okay. Dads. All right. Whatever. Trolls World Tour. Okay. He's been in all of them. So Hubie Halloween. He was in Hubie Halloween. Of course he was. Um, Clifford the Big Red Dog. All right. Okay. <coughs> Points for that one. Uh, Home Sweet Home Alone. Which which number is this one in the timeline? Uh, Five or six, I think. 
Let me see. Home Alone here. Yeah, Home Alone six. Yep. <laughs> Nailed that shit. I I feel like I wouldn't collect those points. I feel don't well. Don't tell me that watching JonTron never got you anything in life. <laughs> um. So he went from dads to bro. Oh, he was in Bros. Evidently. Uh, then so success again. just follows this guy around. And, is what you're telling me. Good Burger. Too. Man, shit's gold. Yep. Just just powerful. Um. He played. Uh, his his most popular name among these was Teddy. He played a couple of Teddies. Yeah, there were quite a few Teddies. Um, and then and then there also were two Teddies. He was also Greedy Smurf. There were two Teddies, but um, it's kind of weird that it happened twice. And Stan Helsing and um, they came together. Movies that couldn't be less related. Oh shit! He was on an episode of Psych. Yeah, um, he was one of Gus's friends from college, along with the guy who played Urkel. Okay, okay, okay. Um, iCarly, <laughs> the awesome Randy Cunningham, ninth grade ninja, of course. Quacha, quacha. All right, so yeah, so we I felt it was important to really flesh out Keenan Thompson's uh, to to truly to understand. Justice. Yes. One must one must have a rich knowledge of of history to truly appreciate. Um, the Marsh King's daughter, Daisy Ridley, back in the saddle. Um, I don't have a lot to say about this. Yeah, it sounds very uh very natural. Um, I mean, I like the kind of premise of this movie it sounds like it was an adapt like the book it's adapted on seems like a nifty enough story so it's like a it's a horror it's a thriller killer thriller uh about like a a serial kidnap not a serial kidnapper but a uh a notorious kidnapper who um took a woman uh into the bayou for 20 years and had a kid and she's the kid and he's <laughs> <laughs> that's boom I know I stunned you all with that one she's the Marsh King's daughter your name is Ray Marsh King <laughs> <laughs> um, trained from birth to be a maybe a killing machine um, but her dad's back and she has to ta- she has to grapple and tackle and and I don't know kick the balls yeah. of of her role with her father the as he is on loose yeah um it's just, it's an interesting premise um i don't feel like the trailer itself was interesting yeah um and i don't I don't really know how good an actress Daisy Ridley is, really. I haven't really seen her in much outside of Star Wars, where yeah. she was very wooden. This is the, I mean, this is the test, right, of of many Star Wars actors, right? It's like, they want to go out and try something else, and the, very often, there's not 
uh, you know, they don't find a lot of success outside of that franchise. My man Adam Driver has something to say about that. There's always one thing is with that. There's always one one really charismatic actor who can take Carrie it Fisher had some good success after Star I'll Wars. Also say John Boyega. I guess with the recent one, it's a lot, a few more. Like because John well, Boyega. So- Oscar the thing with Isaac. the recent one, though, is they they took a lot of established like Oscar Isaac was already an established actor when he was in Star Wars. Um, so they took a lot more established actors, but of the original cast, like they all like all the three of the big ones went on to greater success. I mean, Mark Hamill didn't really do it as a screen actor so much, but he had great success as a voice actor. Um, Carrie Fisher got a good number of roles after star Wars, uh, despite all their, her demons that she battled. Um, and Harrison Ford, of course, Indiana Jones and many, many, many other very successful movies. Right. That's why I usually say like, um, in a lot of those discussions of, uh, what happened after the movies, like, you know, everyone talks about Harrison Ford as mainly the guy who, who got into more blockbusters. Yes. That's that. I mean, that's that's very fair. like Harrison Ford of all the actors who have ever been in a Star Wars movie. Um, mm-hmm. Arguably the most successful. I Liam Neeson has had a good career for himself. Yep. Uh, Ewan McGregor. McGregor. He, I, he's not I don't think he's on the level of the other two, at least not like box office success. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Hayden Christensen, of course, that was just a. You know, it's unfortunate how that went. He never really. I mean, I think I think the reception I think Hayden got... Hayden Christensen's problem was not. He just wasn't a good actor. Like, it's <laughs> not very good, I'm, was he? I'm sorry. Like, it's he didn't get done wrong by anything. It's not like fans boycotted. If Hayden Christensen had been good like Ewan McGregor was in those movies, I don't think anyone would have had any problems with Hayden Christensen as Darth Vader. The writing was bad. Don't get me wrong. Writing was very bad. Very hard to make that work. But he also was not great, and I've seen him in other stuff. Still not great. I've seen him back in the role for the Obi-Wan show. Continues to not be great. Um. So I, it's it's definitely you know it's a widespread going out from Star Wars. Um, this also has the who's the uh, not Ben Mendelsohn maybe it's Ben Jake Mendelsohn? Lloyd the the kid who played Anakin in the Phantom Menace he's the one who got like yes. raked over the fucking okay, coals. Yes. That's who I was thinking of. Yeah, like that kid was crucified for no good goddamn reason. Yeah. Um, who am I thinking? Who's the guy in this? Maybe Garrett Headland. Um, the so the romantic uh, foil in in this. Uh, yes, Garrett Headland. I believe yes, he was also he was he's. I think his last big one was. Um, oh no, I was gonna say oh it's it was Tron Legacy. That's the last one I remember him for. But I obviously forgot him in our favorite movie, Triple Frontier. I do see that he was in Triple Frontier, but I'm not sure I believe it. But then again, I remember so little about that movie. <laughs> yeah. So little of it was interesting enough to stick with me. He played the character of that he Ben Miller. Might have, 
he might have been like the second or third most important character in the movie. All I remember vaguely is that Oscar Isaac is in that movie, even though he's not like particularly important. And Ben Affleck screaming about hard outs. Yep. Pedro Pascal was in this movie. This was before he got his uh the I, I wanna say the breakout gig on the Mandalorian. It was Yeah, no, that's that's totally fair. Like he's had a decent career before that, but a lot of smaller smaller bit roles. Uh Mandalorian was definitely his breakout, which is good because he's he's got talent and he you always mm-hmm. like to see that get rewarded. Yeah. His but Garrett Hedlund's last thing was in The Tudor. Um, Not one that I saw. Yeah. Smaller movie. But oh, apparently he's he's in The Tulsa King, that Showtime okay. show with I've, Stallone. I have heard things about that. I have as well. I'm interested enough to watch it. I've got it, got it cooking, and uh, <laughs> I'll watch it eventually. <laughs> yeah, we'll get around to it. Uh, maybe we'll get around to this. Who knows? Um, your turn, Kurt. <coughs> oh, we had another trailer. Oh, we have. <laughs> we got a, more. We have many more trailers. Um, well, I mean, no, we had many more trailers, but many more trailers. Well, that we let's cut. at least do one more. Let's do Cassandro. Okay, I didn't watch that one. <laughs> oh, um, well, this one you can watch it as we discuss it. So it's about um an exotic. So the premise is. He is a Cassandro is a um, down on his luck lucha libre uh, fighter, and he makes the choice to become uh, an exotico, which I guess is an archetype of lucha uh, wrestler. Um, is that Bad Bunny? Yes, <laughs> yes. It's a it's a movie about it's a Latin movie about wrestling. Um, he was bound to show up. Oh, well, he probably is one of the major reasons the movie got made. <laughs> so he attached his name to it. Yeah. Um. So, the I guess I again I I we watch wrestling, but we watch American wrestling. I'm not very well versed in the culture of lucha, uh, but my exposure to lucha is basically what was on Lucha Underground, and so all the the only like. I won't call it a bizarre, but like different tradition that I'm super aware of is um, like minis division. Mm-hmm. No one over five two. Um, which for I think a lot of different cultural reasons is not popular in the U.S. Right, um, um, and I guess similarly, so the Exotico seems like a. It looks like they wrestle in the main divisions, but as an archetype, that's like the the very uh, effeminate type, you know, effeminate yeah, looking but male wrestlers. Th- that's not like an exclusive. Like that's done in America a fair amount. Like especially back in the territory days, to get mm-hmm. cheap heat, you know, you'd trot out in the South. You know, your Southern right. territories, you'd trot out the the obviously. Uh, flamboyantly gay guy to generate heel heat because right. <laughs> it's the South in the eighties. <laughs> so it looks like the story here is this was an actual wrestler who who was gay and uh, outside the ring and decided to make an exotico a he tried to get him over and make him uh, a he you know a hero with the crowd. 
and this was his story. Yeah. Seems pretty interesting. I, I love that. Yeah, actually. I love movies that, about wrestling. Having having actually watched the trailer, I'm I'm kind of interested in this now. See, that's uh, I'm glad I'm glad I was able to uh catch you on this. Yeah, no, like um this this might be nice because um wrestling is lends itself very well to cinema. Um obviously like the wrestler uh, did very well, but that's a a Dan Aronofsky film. So uh you're not going to leave it happy. Right. <laughs> this one might be <laughs> be one that you can uplifting. leave. Yeah. Happy. Um Glow was really good, right? I never watched it. I enjoyed Glow. Um a lot of like melodrama on that. Uh but well, that's it was... not too far off from reality either. I suppose that's true, but it's like it's stuff that is like Riverdale esque. Mm. Um but like it's it's definitely for a more mature band. Um but no, Glow Glow was pretty good. I never finished the third season of it though. Um I I can do that at some point. Yeah. And now we got this. So yeah, we this this might be something we'll watch uh down the line. I wouldn't be opposed to it. Nor would I. We'll put it in we'll put it in the queue. All right. There you go. Forty nope. some odd minute tray watch with just us two. We're All right. we're back in pure form. Um yeah. and just to sum up before we move into the, the follow up to so we saw um some a small th- uh thriller film, a Netflix only David uh, Snyder uh Zack Snyder, not David Snyder. Um, a Netflix only animated uh, Adam Sandler deal, uh, a foreign indie film, and a Paramount sequel. Streaming. Paramount Plus, uh, I don't think it's going to be around very much longer. <laughs> I don't imagine so. We're, we're currently progressing through the contraction phase of this yeah. uh, streaming bubble. The predicted streaming is a lot like cable uh, outcome has come here, and now we're waiting to see what happens next. <laughs> and the... that's why everyone's on strike, because no one knows exactly what happens next and how the money is made. And so they're very hesitant to pay people a lot of money or spend a lot of money because they want to be fairly wet liquid for the unknown times ahead. Yes. And obviously the people who need to put food on the table uh, don't like the idea of not having as many opportunities to be paid. <laughs> yes. Um, thank you. Thank you, streaming services. Glad we could That's all very, fight for that bottom dollar. Very quick <laughs> summary of the writers and actors. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> all That's right. Good, let's go on to the follow-up here. We don't have enough time to cover it because we're following up. Yeah, um, Blue Beetle tops a very weak box office this week. Yeah, um, I say kind of even before we get into the, the listings, um, this one was the first one in three months, uh, box office in three months, to reach sub $100 million. Domestically, yeah. Yeah, domestic. Um, um, and we'll see how that, where that's shaken out from, but Blue Beetle does not look to be, I think that's, 
a big portion of is that our leader, our box office leader, is not a strong gross. Yeah, and um, I've read, I keep seeing articles with like really weird headlines pop up in my my Google feed. Um, like when I click on them, usually the article says nothing to the effect that uh, the headline suggests, but. Anyway, this one, I didn't read the article. I just saw the headline, but apparently there are many within Warner Brothers Discovery that are claiming that Hurricane Hillary had a significant impact on how Blue Beetle earned in its opening weekend. I guess because every Hispanic in Southern California was going to go see it. Um, Look at all these. We we would have definitely sold all these theaters out if only... If only that hurricane. If only the power were on, you know, and and the hurricane weren't going through, man, we would have made so much money. So let's see. Let's see if Blue Beetle has a very strong second week with almost no drop off. Then maybe they weren't full of shit. But I'm not super predicting that. Yeah, because we saw Uh, the movie. Yeah, know what happens in it. Yeah, it is doing quite well critically, though. So. Maybe if if Rotten Tomatoes has had that much of an effect on DC in the past, as they claim, then uh, perhaps they'll see the opposite swing here. Yeah. Um, but we'll we'll talk all about Blue Beetle at the end of this program. Oh, only another eighteen million internationally, so a scant fifty-two million to date. Yeah, that's a that is a slim start for a modern um, superhero movie. Yeah, uh, and that's like the unfortunately, it's like the third or fourth uh, DC movie in a row to kind of take it on the chin. It does not bode well uh, for the future. Um, Fortunately, for Warner Brothers, yeah, they also put out this movie. This is really like they go to they go to DC and they're like, "You're fucking lucky that Barbie just topped as the gro- the largest domestic uh, box office so far this year, and it's and it is second this year to uh, to the Mario movie inter uh, worldwide." Yes, and it has a very real chance. I think it only needs like forty million more to catch it, and it's still popping twenty million. Uh, this week, so even with if it continues its standard rate of decay, has goes through its half life, um, I think it it will come very close to uh, forty million. And you also have to count uh, international uh, returns there too. So I think it's got got a real shot to to pass that. Yeah, because it's still in second place after five weeks. Yeah, it's only its fifth week. And, you know, Mario Brothers movie hung around in the top 10 for, like, 12 weeks. Yeah. So, who knows how long no, a tale this is no, going to happen. As we know, it famously only stuck around for six weeks. It slid right, right to the bottom. <laughs> as I predicted. Just as you predicted. <laughs> um, And right, just right, twin, cinema twins of, of the Twinning. weird variety. Um, not that it's it's a fraternal twinema instead of identical twinema, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, Oppenheimer in third here, with uh, again another respectable uh, ten million gross this week. Oppenheimer has made seven hundred twenty-five million dollars worldwide. That is 
huge. Like that that even exceeded my expectations for how well this movie was going to do. Not yeah. not anything to not to say anything about the quality of the movie, but like logistically speaking, this is an R-rated 3-hour movie. Your audience consisting of mostly dialogue. Yes. So your audience, well even like even if you take away anything about the movie, the R rating means that no one under 17 can see this without being accompanied by a guardian, right? So there's a whole section of moviegoers that you've eliminated there. And the fact that it's three hours means that you can't screen it as many times in a day. Right. So you're losing however many showings of potential customers because of that. So like right out of the get, it had those two things working against it. And then I was going to say right as you step in the gate, I guess, um, the fact that it is a dialogue-heavy film uh, means that you have to do a lot of dubbing uh, for an international audience. Um, and this is a movie, it's one of those high-aiming you know, high aiming films that's all about the performance of the actors. Um, so having it, I can imagine it was a large challenge to have to dub over that. Um or maybe well, he just chose to sub it, like you know, for them probably it subbed a- it. And um, a lot of there, there's a high degree of English proficiency because uh, English, right after Chinese, is the second most commonly used language in business. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a high, and just Europe in general, a lot of multilingual people because of the proximity of the country. So there's a high degree of English proficiency in Europe. So you probably wouldn't have to dub anything subtitles would probably just be fine or not needed even yeah i was gonna say at the very least you probably have a you could have like a english audio showing and any you know a european whatever language subtitle showing you know different formats yeah that kind of stuff um so again yeah this i think this is another testament to the quality of the movie Yep. Honestly. And Nolan gets another he gets another huge lease to kind of uh do whatever strikes him next. He continues to be able to do whatever the fuck he wants. Yep. <laughs> for better or worse. Yeah. For better, Oppenheimer, or for worse, tenant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if his low end is tenant, um, Yeah, like honestly, I mean Tenet's not a great movie, but it's far from the worst movie. And that's literally like the only movie of his that wasn't any good or like it I wasn't didn't like received as well critically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Some people don't love the dark Knight rises, but generally accept that it was an okay movie. Just not as good as the one that came before it. Right. Um, so he's earned his trust in, in the Hollywood sphere. We'll see what yep. he does with it next. Um, Seth Rogen might be on Phoenix in that trust department. Yeah. Uh, TMNT Mutant Mayhem coming in fourth with eight and a half million dollars in its box office, down forty four point one percent. Already leaving a hand a good chunk of theaters there uh, in just its third week. Yep. Um, it's it never had a st- strong start. Um, you know, it started out in second, I obviously behind Barbie. Um, but it's been a strong middling movie. 
that hopefully they'll, I'm sure part of the strategy is to get the post theatrical release. Uh, oh yeah. This movie will do, do well on video. Uh, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. And like, I mean, I'm sure it was fairly expensive to animate and there were quite a few, uh, large voice talents in that movie that pr- may have cost a lot of money. So I don't know quite what the budget was, but $122 million is not a small amount of money. I, I would, I wouldn't think that that's going to lose too much. And again, it will probably rally very well when it comes to video or Paramount plus whatever. Yeah. Um, but trailing right behind it is another um, voice acting dominant movie. That's a pretty tenuous thread, but uh, it is the <laughs> leash on which I'm holding strays. The yes. Movie. Popping out in fifth. Um, oh boy, Universal. How you feeling right now? Well, the good news is it's possible that that movie didn't cost a lot of money to make. That's true. We've Bad seen, news is it probably seen, did. The, uh, <laughs> the mouth matching. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. What, what is the budget for, for Strays here? I can I can take the time to talk about it as this has found itself in the spotlight. So when the Google auto return for Stray's budget has it at forty six million dollars. Okay, that's um, a pretty re- that's a pretty tight film by Hollywood standards. That's yeah, that's that's a mid budget comedy, the exact type of film that doesn't make a ton of mo- uh, money these days, and especially. <laughs> When you release an R-rated comedy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again, cutting your audience down, especially in a, a movie with animals where kids are going to want to see it. Right. It's the it's the sausage party uh, problem where taking a kid's concept and just aging it up so you can make marginally more jokes. Um, for much less money. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's better ways to make an R-rated movie. Um, yeah, um, and a thirteen million dollar to date gross is is part and parcel of that. But let's let's dig into to the meat and potatoes here of Strays, as it does find itself in our spotlight. It's sashayed in, and uh, while we wait for Animal Control to get here, we'll take a look at what some of the critics are saying about it. Uh, it's currently holding a 6.4 out of 10 on IMDb, a 56% fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes with a paltry 73% audience score, considering audience scores basically start at 65%. Sitting yeah. <laughs> <laughs> low, it's taking that curve all the way to the bank. Um, <laughs> not looking great there. Medic score of 54, user score of 4.8, so thoroughly mediocre. Um, it would seem. Also, is it available to stream on Netflix? Maybe. No, no, okay. no. That is a different film called The Strays, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which I don't know what it's about. But there's a woman in period clothing on the poster, so I'm sure it's not some... this. Not yes, 
not the dog movie. Definitely not the dog movie. But you know, you know the the cold hard truth, and the cold hard truth is that none of those critics know anything about nothing. It's the real reviewers that take. It's the stage. real reviewers, and the only place you can find real reviewers, believe me, we've we've vetted the entire internet. You can find them in two places. One place is underground dog fighting rings, where they compete live against the dogs, boasting a bite force of over two hundred pounds, <laughs> and also generally under bridges. Yeah. Um, especially if Billy Goats often need to cross, they do enjoy collecting tolls from them. <laughs> <laughs> but the place where you read their works yeah. <laughs> is the IMDb user review section. <laughs> I guarantee you that, that that transition is funnier than anything in this movie. Yep, I, I'm calling it now. But um, maybe we're wrong because there are defenders. This movie does have its defenders. Not a lot. There were only five 10-star reviews for this movie. <laughs> um, so we had to dip into nines. But uh, we do have a 10 here from Bella XOX-10361. She has a review of Stray's um, 10 out of 10 titled Something Different. Submitted August 19th, 2023. I went to watch Strays today. I was not going to watch it because it's rated R and usually don't watch R-rated movies because I am a child. <laughs> I added that. That's, that's me editorializing. But I saw the trailer before and I laughed and was intrigued with the trailer. The movie did not disappoint. That was a continuous sentence. <laughs> I really loved its funny, friendship, hilarious. In general, it's something different from other dog movies. It really showed how humans can be towards dogs. <laughs> it also showed how abuse can be. I was really surprised about that. <laughs> she's, she's dropping bombs on the audience here. I think people will really enjoy this movie. It is definitely for adults who need a laugh sometimes in their life. Take your friends or loved ones, except no children, for sure. And if we found that helpful. Bring your loved ones, except no children. Um, no children. Leave Joey Vito at home. <laughs> yes. Can't see this one. Um, Set this one out, kids. This one out. Rocky Dog, down on the bottom end. Um, Rocky Dog, nineteen seven fifty five. Um, they've got a one out of ten here, uh, which their name belies that they're actually a posh English gentleman or woman, because um, this is the this is the most concerned the most concerned reviewer I've seen in a while. Um, one out of ten couldn't have been worse. A wasted ninety minutes of film. This fil this movie could have been so much better, but the overuse of the f word. Countless penis jokes, overdone poop scenes, endless humping and forced humor made it almost unwatchable. <coughs> Fortunately, we only paid $6 for the matinee, so we didn't waste too much money in this debacle. I didn't think an hour and a half could drag on so long. If we had anything better to do, we would have left. <laughs> We only stayed on the hope that the ending might bring some sort of satisfactory finish. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. 
amazed that Pharaoh and Fox would have be, be involved in such a disaster. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I actually enjoyed Cocaine Bear more. <coughs> One out of two. Um, yeah, that's some real, uh, oh, my stars and garters oh. right there. Oh. oh, dear. Good Lord, I've got to come down with the vapors. <laughs> I'm the vapors. Um, meanwhile, in the mids, uh, we got our far out of ten. From Entertainment's Paradise. And this one isn't so much fun. We spend most of our lives in Entertainment's Paradise. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, this one isn't just... It's it's funny because it's true. Because this person, I found a kindred spirit. Because they say the things that we always say. And okay. I just want them to speak truth to power. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's do it. Let's fight the power. Straight. Four out of ten. <laughs> The trailer summed it up, literally. <laughs> Honestly, everything in the trailer neatly encapsulates this film. I could have skipped the movie and still grasped its impact and storyline as the essence remained untouched. Not to say that it lacks humor. There are chuckles, especially from voiceovers and canine camera focus. Uh, these doggy scenes are quite amusing. Yet, some jokes teeter on excessive, veering into overwhelmingly inappropriate territory, while off-color humor, while sorry, while off-color humor usually tickles my funny bone, the constant dick talk had me holding back laughter. <laughs> uh, the plot itself is decent, but don't accept, expect a cinematic masterpiece. It's here for a good time and delivers that. Though, like me, you might drift after the first th- thirty minutes, pondering if it's just a doggy dash throughout the city. Paw Patrol prep anyone? All in all, it's subpar for me. Comedy's a tough nut, and this felt more like a short stretched into a movie better suited for streaming. I'm giving it a below average 2 out of 5 stars. 3 out of 13. And he actually, like, used the star scale appropriately. He's a good egg. Who is this man? (laughs) Entertainment's parents, they're good good reviewers, Donnie. So one of our co-hosts just had a kid, so we might need need someone to fill in <laughs> what's your schedule like do you do you want to join in yeah um, are you free thursdays <laughs> he's got like a he's got a nice distribution of ratings around sevens he's he's been recently active he's watching akira he's watching uh he watched blue beetle he gave it an eight. i was about to say is this me but then you said he watched akira and i was like oh, no, couldn't ah be no it couldn't be <laughs> um love this dude all right He's a a personal fave. Well, bringing some positivity to that positivity is the Lou Isig. That's how I'm going to say that. I don't care. He has a 9 out of 10. Excellent comedy. If you like a sex reference filled comedy, you'll love this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Is this just Yes Man from Fallout New Vegas? (laughs) Strays 2023 is a talking dog comedy that's about Reggie, the dog, trying to get back to his owner that he's tried to get trying to get back to his owner that's tried to get rid of him. There we go. Along the way, he meets a group of stray dogs who guide him on the life of a stray dog (laughs) and help him get back home. It's rated a 15 for good reason. It's not a kid's movie. It's like Sausage Party, where it looks like a kid's movie, but it's far from it. 
It includes humor that everyone will enjoy. Oh, this person's British because they obviously rated 15. That's a UK thing, and humor is spelled with a U. Oh. That everyone will enjoy. But if you don't like a lot of sex references in a movie, I wouldn't advise you watch it as it contains a lot of sex references. <laughs> this person is... This person just turned 15. <laughs> Calling yes. it sex references. <laughs> Being like, oh, it's an excellent comedy because all the this, sex references. The sexual references. Um, five out of seven. All right. Overall, I rate this movie a nine out of ten. Or at least the score matched the, the score on the subject line. And I definitely recommend this. Five out of seven found that helpful. If you can believe it. I can dig it. Sexual intercourse in the ocean. <laughs> yeah. uh, Nature nomad. Oh yeah. Nature did they just nomad. become mad? Did they Nature just watch nomad. it because there was a dog in it and they're like, that's an animal? I Maybe. Who could know? Um he has a one out of ten. Hideously unfunny, not clever, and perhaps the worst movie of the decade. Seriously, who greenlit this awful turd of a movie? Imagine sitting in a theater to watch a comedy and not one single chuckle came out of the audience. My partner actually dozed off. This is how terrible this movie is. Not sure what Dennis Quaid was thinking when he did his cameo, but I venture to guess he needed a quick payday. The sad thing about Strays is that it thinks it's been clever by lining the dialogue with nonstop profanity. Not clever but dishwater dull, and it gets painfully boring quick. I think the creators thought that this would be a stoner classic, but instead it bombed big at the box office, and deservedly so. Worst movie of the decade, and it will sweep the Razzies next year. I, I can't imagine that's true. Zero, zero, zero found that helpful. For Razzie, but... I, it, it certainly... <laughs> Oh, okay, so we're in the 2020s now. All right, let, yeah. let me think on this quick. Is, could this possibly be the worst movie of the decade? Let's see. Let's take a look. What year did The Fanatic come out? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> 2020s. That's 2019. Movies. Okay. Uh, what about Rogue? Rogue. Um, Let's see, 2020s movies. Uh, 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 Rogue was a 2020 release. Rogue is the worst movie of yeah. the decade, and I will not hear otherwise. Yeah. Um, the lowest rate, although IMDb says, even in 2020, you know, there was Doolittle, uh, The Grudge Reboot, The Bloodshot Movie. I don't know. Those are all kind of in the same thing. Um, Rotten Tomatoes inexplicitly likes Rogue. They gave it a 67% fresh rating. Nar. Oh, nar, brah. Can't do that. Um, what we can see is... I think that's higher than Fat Man, which is really sad. Yeah. Because <laughs> Fat Man was way better than uh, Rogue. Jeepers Creepers Reborn. Oh. That might... That, all right, that might be... Uh, I don't know, hard to judge horror movies because they're all bad. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, I mean, Home Sweet Home Alone might be the best movie of the decade. It's a contender for sure. Had Keenan Oppenheimer's, Thompson. Oppenheimer's got some stiff comps. Cillian Murphy's no Keenan Thompson. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> it's very true. <laughs> they're almost nothing alike. 
Um, and unlike anyone else, is I love food coma. I'm pretty sure this is a she. They're back. Um, this is a, this has to be a recurring reviewer. I feel like I've I've touched on their work before, but here I am again dipping into the well uh, because they have a six. Yeah, the six out of ten review here. Real animal props CG. There is some dialogue in the movies are so funny. Imaging human beings conversation coming out from dogs. Hilarious. Also, I still couldn't figure it out if they use real animals or props or CG. Those dogs expressions are so real, but the mouthing when they speak are so animated. Overall, I think it is an entertaining movie and there is a positive message behind it. Be kind to our pets. However, this movie is definitely not for kids. There are some dialogue in the movies are so funny. Imaging human beings conversation coming out from dogs. Hilarious. <laughs> also, I still couldn't figure it out. If they use real animals or props or CG, those dogs expressions are so real, but the mouthing <laughs> when they speak are so animated. Overall, I think it is an entertaining movie and there is a positive message behind it. Be kind to our pets. However, this movie definitely not for kids. So, do you think they just forgot they had really written that, or they're just trying to stretch out to hit the character they limit? They gotta be hitting character <laughs> limit. Because um, I'm, let me see. Let me see if they have some for for some of their other recent reviews. It's gotta movies. be, like, the character limit's gotta only exist on desktop, right? Because we've seen some short reviews. Mm-hmm. They... You know what? Their other reviews don't have that. This is a this is a special feature. Ooh, look at that! Yeah, that's not the first time that that's happened to you or to me. I think. I think we've both read reviews that were like that. They just they just run it back. Yeah. So yes, <laughs> I believe I believe that's uh, some sort of trend, some sort of crazy why, TikTok trend. That's <laughs> why they're in the gallery. Yeah, we, we keep but, them around. Plant gallery package yeah. neatly for our entertainment. That's it for for That's strays. I think I think you understand where this this lies. Yes, I think you you've learned all you need to know about the movie. I feel yeah more so than in most of those segments where we just kind of roast the reviewers. Yeah, uh, Meg Two the Trench finds itself in sixth, down forty seven point three percent. Still bringing in cool 6.7 million. And man, they love the Meg overseas. Jason Statham, international superstar. Uh, $321 million uh, worldwide for the Meg, too. I think Operation Fortune also made a lot more money overseas than it did Good. domestically. I hope it did. Well, I mean, it it made like 50-some-odd million dollars, but it, uh, most of that came from overseas. Because, I mean, it kind of slipped in quietly, and uh, it was not well advertised. I think no. that, that hurt it a lot. Um. Anyway. Anyways. Moving on. Talk to me in seventh. <laughs> Three point. Out. Yep. yep. Stay, stay in the same spot. Trend water. $3.1 million. Not much to say about Talk to Me. Made $53 million worldwide. Haunted Mansion. Um, did it even make that much money? Who knows? Down another 47.8%. Uh, 
uh, just being chucked out of theaters at an alarming rate. This is uh, right now also the only Walt Disney movie in the top ten. All right, so uh, Disney executives will be uh, and shareholders will be happy to know that this did in fact outgross Talk to Me by about thirty-four million dollars. You beat a twenty-four Disney. You beat a Good movie job. that costs six dollars to make. With your movie that costs They've, six hundred million, they had a congratulations coupon for half off. Got the veterans discount. That's like the the kid whose dad's like an engineer at NASA and like takes the blueprints to work and gets the fucking sheet metal stamped out for his kid's soapbox derby car. Yeah. Yep. Just spends it because like the the other champion racer is like his kid's bully or some shit, so he spends like hundreds of dollars hundreds of thousands of taxpayer dollars building a soapbox car yeah. to beat the five dollar soapbox car that the other maybe, kids race. maybe your dad works at a steel foundry and he he helps build your entire downhill derby car out of out of industry grade steel while everyone else is building it out of uh spare bike parts but there's that one team who managed to get the worst of both worlds and spent a lot of money but also had the worst design and it totally just crashed out. Like, what were they even thinking? I think one that was guy, not. I think one guy hit an old team. lady. Yes, that what that one guy just like careened out, hit an old lady, ate a shit ton of pavement. Oh <laughs> it's like, dude, it was fucking. Like, was it? Uh, I don't know. I was gonna make a joke about poison ivy and road rash, but it didn't come together in time. <laughs> Man, that was. Boys, you could have landed an airplane on that strip of <laughs> strip of road rash. <laughs> it was not your last experience with no. road rash on that campus. No, I, I was. In I fact, was... I don't know where it saved, but every now and then, that picture of your fucking gross wound <laughs> will pop up on my phone. <laughs> it's fucking amazing. <laughs> Just be like, remember this day X years ago? I'm like, oh, no. God, <laughs> how can I forget it? <laughs> you don't, you won't let me. <laughs> oh, uh, Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning Part One. Chilling in ninth, two point seven million dollars down, forty point five percent, bringing in five hundred forty-two mil worldwide, and rounding out the top ten this week. Still in the top ten this week. Um, of two point six million dollars, Sound of Freedom dropping two spots, and Detev, uh, one of the higher earning domestic releases. I think it's the top ten in domestic gross. One hundred seventy nine million dollars domestically, two hundred sixty seven thousand dollars international. Wow. But it has an international release now. For for many weeks, it did not. The, uh, I can think of a country uh, that would have really enjoyed that movie. What, Israel? I was going to say Russia. But no, they're the ones selling God's children, Peter. Oh, was it Russian uh, kidnappers? Oh, I don't fucking know, but I know that Russia 
does have a shady history with human trafficking. <laughs> it's deflection. It's like, don't, <laughs> don't worry. We have only pure, pure fresh, fresh children smuggled in from, uh, from kidnappings. Uh, yep. Is that it? it that's yep, it. That's, that's it. That's the top 10. Shout out to Last Voyage of the Demeter. Uh, <laughs> two weeks. Aaron Gallon. <laughs> who who knew that turning one chapter of a book into a full movie might not have panned out? I like the I like the moxie on it though. I like the spunk on it. Yeah, I mean, I I applauded the the effort to go there, and honestly, I think it could have been done well. Like, I don't know that it would have been an impossible task to adapt that chapter of the book into the movie because there's a lot of like. It's very like skeletal in how it's mapped out. So there's a lot of like room to kind of flesh out characters and, um, you know, take creative license with certain events, and build build an atmosphere. Um, but I guess they didn't do that well. So yep. So here we uh, are. It didn't um, happen, and it's gone forever. You'll never see it again. That's a rough segue. <laughs> well, um, it I wasn't know you. I seg- know <laughs> it wasn't a segue until you made it one, Chief. That's <laughs> <It was laughs> true. <laughs> I, uh, I I strode into that one, um, but nevertheless, we are here, and uh, instead of and uh, Jake is not yes key detail there. <laughs> um, the the Saturn Slams uh, is jumping in here for a little quick editorial segment uh, instead of our regularly scheduled. Uh, video game news uh hint just quick short brc dropped we're gonna be talking about that next week because yeah we want to finish it up um baldur's gate three probably no man's sky dropped another update (laughs) amazing uh pirates in Um, that one but it it, it seemed like a pretty slow news week this is definitely the biggest news story it's tangentially video game related that's it's true someone whose likeness has appeared in several video games yep um so this is our our saturn slam editorial memorial um discussion for the passing of uh bray wyatt um yeah, wyndham uh, rotunda his, yes uh, his uh christian name wyndham lawrence rotunda um mm-hmm. passed away yesterday at the age of 36 years old um Yep. What has been reported, and uh, I think corroborated by uh, WWE and uh, the family, is that mm-hmm. he had COVID. This would have been around, like, right after um, the fucking Mountain Dew, the Mountain Dew pitch black match or whatever. Oh, yeah. That will forever be his final wrestling match, which is a really unfortunate way for your career to end. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, um, I, thankfully I forgot all about it. Um, he, yeah, so because he, he has so much, the reason we're taking this time here is not just because, um, he was a beloved wrestler, which of course he was. Um, but that is, that is a big part of it. But also, um, at the same time he was, he did so much for the, for his company. Yeah, like, fans. he, all around good guy, um, never really 
heard a, a bad thing said about him. I mean, the only only kind of like scandal he was ever involved in is that the there's some questioning of the the timing concerning uh, the the end of his relationship with his first wife and the start of his relationship with his current wife. Um, but that's really the extent of any bad words. It says super creative guy uh, yes. came up with a lot of really interesting and unique things for his character to do and reinvented his character several times. Um, yeah. The again, best known for uh, uh, best known for his character, Bray Wyatt, who the, uh, the whole uh, uh, swamp Bayou cult leader, uh, yeah, there are several incarnations of the Bray Wyatt character, right? There was the the original uh, Bayou cult leader, um, Bray Wyatt, and then there was eventually became a little more more spoopy Bray Wyatt, and then it was yep. the Fiend slash yep. uh, Mister Rogers <laughs> Bray Wyatt, yep. and then it was back to regular Bray Wyatt. We never really with the Uncle Howdy stuff. We never really got to see where that went mm -hmm. um yeah but in regardless every incarnation kind of flowed right from one into another um and they all really highlighted his his skill in the ring yeah. on the mic um and we're also gonna also use this as a sort of proxy to talk about um Brody lee um luke harper um because yeah. we talked about him before, we've we've obviously mentioned him, uh, his passing a few years back. Um, but yeah, I think we again. This yeah. was again. They're all connected here. Like Brody, Brody was really sad and tragic, right? And like, I'm not saying that 42 or however old he was isn't older or too young to to die, because it totally is. Yeah. And like, it's only a six year age difference, but that's like. It, it hits different when you read someone died in their 30s and yeah. someone who ostensibly, you know, as a professional athlete. Is still, um, is, it, would, for wrestling, even is very much in his prime. And, yeah, in his prime, young, like, of a heart attack. Like, I mean, you think, unfortunately, wrestler deaths of that age, you know, especially with heart issues, aren't uncommon because that's one of the things that can happen when you abuse anabolic steroids. But to take a look at Bray Wyatt, you would know that he's not really yeah, on uh, on anything. He was not nearly as lean or vascular as someone who would be abusing steroids yeah. would be. See, uh, his most recent very famous match against John Cena. Um <laughs> But just kind of going the overview of his career, like um, what he really brought was just this. He, he brought the sauce. We always talk about when we talk about wrestling matches, we talk about this idea or this concept called the sauce, which is taking that that very dynamic energy and bringing that and carrying it through an entire match, through an entire feud, through an entire uh, span, you know, entire era. And he did that for his entire. He did that for his whole career. Like when when Bray Wyatt went on to do a match, right? You were gonna get him at like a hundred percent. Yeah, a hundred percent within the bounds of his character. Like I'm not gonna. Mm -hmm. I'll be honest. Like Bray Wyatt 
could work. He is a talented wrestler. Um, I think he was definitely better as a promo than he was as, you know, a worker between the ropes. Um, not that he was incapable of having a good match. He had quite a few, but he also had quite a few uh, high-profile matches that kind of disappointed. And I will say that is another huge part was the ones, in addition to ones that were um, some disappointments, both in the booking and in the, the execution. Yeah, Bray Wyatt, the whole Bray Wyatt character kind of was marred by um poor booking and you know starting out really hot like every time he'd reinvent his character or there'd be a new wrinkle uh with what was going on with the Wyatt family or whatever like it would have a lot of momentum out the gate but then he'd get in a feud with someone and it would usually last a little bit too long um he usually wouldn't win the feud and both people would come out less over than when they started, um, which was very unfortunate. It led to a lot of people kind of dismissing his talent a bit, but I don't think that's fair. I think a lot of it was just weird decisions by people who, you know, were him. Right. And, like, I'm not obviously – I don't know that for sure, and maybe – you know, maybe some of his ideas weren't weren't the most sensical either, but that really kind of was was the story of a lot of his WWE run. Was you know he'd get very over and and very have a lot of momentum behind him, and then the company for whatever reason just wouldn't go all the way on him. Right. And I remember when he when he came up in 2013, I think, and. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of discussion, and he he did wrestle the Undertaker at WrestleMania thirty one. Um, yep. There was a lot of discussion that like this Bray Wyatt character could be this generation's Undertaker, um, yeah. and it never really realized that because, mm-hmm. and I think it all goes back to one one real puzzling decision. Um. Yeah, as we just kind of wax eloquently on Bray Wyatt's yeah, career. Um, so he was super, super over going into WrestleMania 30. He was, they were handling it right. They had him have a, a program with uh, Daniel Bryan joining the Wyatt family as a storyline. And that led to arguably from a quality standpoint, the best match of his career with Daniel Bryan at the Royal Rumble in 2014. Also, one of the better matches of his career came at that same event, like uh, eight years later. Um, I don't remember exactly what year uh, Daniel Bryan and the Fiend wrestled at the Royal Rumble in the strap match. But that okay. was yeah. also yep. like one of the better matches of his career. Common Fred there, this this Brian Danielson fellow might be good at wrestling. Yeah, just a bit. Um, but we're talking about Bray here. So the stage was set. He was going to wrestle John Cena at WrestleMania that year, and um, they beat him. Yeah. And it was the wrong decision at the time. In hindsight, it remains the wrong decision. 
and it really hurt a lot of his momentum and it led to a series of successive feuds where Bray Wyatt would talk a big game as he could yep. and say say all the stuff about, you know, how he's going to do this, how he's going to do that. Hype up a but crowd when, like, like very yeah. few others. But when, when push came to shove, he didn't win. And, like, you can only eat so many pins before the fans start to view you as a loser. Yeah. And that's kind of what happened. And he had to go away and reinvent his character, which he did with the the whole Mr. Rogers Firefly Fun Firefly Funhouse gimmick with the fiend there too. And, and the fiend got super over. The fiend was, was over big. It was a really well done uh sort of uh, storyline, right? Where he it yeah. was a slow burn build up because you he came in, you knew he could put on a promo. He could he had something cooking. But what um, he did with the Firefly Funhouse was like above and beyond. It was basically like a, a series of vignettes where he would play this like children's television character version of his mm-hmm. character. Uh but it was like super creepy. Right. Like something something was definitely wrong and it, like things would just be a little bit off. And like all the all the things that showed up there, like all his puppets had names that were references to uh, like critiques about his previous role that he received, like Ramblin' Rabbit, because people used to accuse his promos of being very rambling. And like Mercy the Buzzard, Follow the Buzzards was a catchphrase of his. And, you know, uh, Waylon Mercy was a inspiration for, for the character of Bray Wyatt. So a lot of Easter eggs like that, very meticulously crafted, very creative stuff, and all read, led to the unveiling of the theme character and that first entrance was something else came out to a remix version of his theme uh with like a heavy metal bend to it fruit of smoke carrying a lantern in the shape of his own decapitated head yes (laughs) just just immense uh presentation immense presence bringing on the stage like i think that's it's one of the most iconic. He has one of the most iconic entrances uh, in the last uh, decade. Or Several so. iterations of it, yeah. Like it, yeah. it was it was something really really unique and very cool, and like, but unfortunately, just like they did with the original Bray Wyatt run here, they immediately booked. The- but they, I, I that's again that's one of the biggest disappointments for me. So yeah, this is one of this Hell in a Cell match. Yeah, so Fiend gets super over, and they decide they want to put him in the feud with um, Seth Rollins, who is Universal Champion at the time and has gotten himself very over. He beat Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania. We were at that WrestleMania. Uh, he had a lot of momentum going in. So what do they do? They take their their babyface champion and they program him against the most popular act in the company at the time. Yeah. Mistake number one. Yeah. Like you shouldn't split the cheers between your audience. Like you, there should you, be You've a crafted clear... a no win scenario. And especially no win because like you shouldn't beat the fiends only wrestled a handful of matches at this point. Right. And in these matches 
his his draw in particular was that he was he was able to no sell moves that he was this yeah. seemingly invincible force who when he won he absolutely not just like squashed but like dominated yeah um, like wrestlers very short matches and that that kind of probably likely would have limited the character in the way that it was limited in the long run anyway because it's difficult to work matches like that and it, there's only so much you can do uh brian danielson figured out a way to make it work but that's he's brian danielson yeah <laughs> um so anyway they go and they book this hell in a cell match which is like the worst way to do this because this one was now in particular was the worst format well, hell so in cell match. so the the idea in general is bad right because now you've you've put them in a scenario so you've You've made the horrible mistake. Your first horrible mistake is you took the most popular act in the company and put your top baby face against them. So now, um, since The Fiend's the hot new toy, people might not get behind Seth Rollins, and then you've got a problem on your hands there. Second horrible decision you've made is you've booked them in a Hell in a Cell match, which is a match, traditionally, a stipulation, that ensures there will be a decisive winner because it's a giant cage around the ring with no disqualifications, no countouts, none of that bullshit, no outside interference in theory, although that's never stopped it from happening before. Right. Um, and there's meant to be a decisive winner in this match. So now someone has to lose. You either have to take the belt off the guy who just won it and has gotten got some momentum behind it, or you have to beat the Fiend. Or, apparently, there was a third option that no one else thought of, probably because it was stupid, where the match ended in a no contest. Essentially, Seth Rollins got disqualified in a no disqualification match for kicking too much ass. So that's this is the worst this is the worst <laughs> of all worlds, right? But yeah. Like this is the worst of all worlds because now you've made the fiend look kind of weak, right? Because he's getting beat down to the point where the referee feels he needs to stop the match. You've made Seth look dumb because he got himself disqualified in a hell in a cell match like a fucking geek. Yeah. And he beat the the super popular new act. So now the fans start to turn on him and his title reign kind of goes to the shit. Like everyone in that match was worse off. Mm -hmm. And they try to save face a month later on the Saudi Arabia show by having the fiend uh beat someone for the universal title. Yeah. Uh like oh I know that was much later actually. That was like it was a day late and a dollar short, essentially. Right. Yeah. Because they, um, they, what they did is they did the rematch at, um, no, yeah, they did the rematch at Saudi show, and I think The Fiend won. So, again, it was a day late and a dollar short. If They should have just had him win the Hell in a Cell match if they were going to take the belt off him anyway. But yeah, that, that just, hurt both characters measurably. They never really recovered from that. And that and, was the, it kind of cemented the, the missing piece from his, his, like magnum opus his whole career uh was missing that one piece and like again yeah he got it in the end um but yeah he won the title once and he defended it <coughs> at wrestlemania in a match that well that was another storyline that got really hot 
Randy Orton joining the Wyatt family, right? And you had Luke Harper being suspicious of him the whole time. Turned out to be right. And the fact that Bray Wyatt never caught on to it kind of made him look silly from the the outset of that match, which would have been fine if you had him keep the belt at WrestleMania. <laughs> but for some fucking reason, they decided to beat him. Because <laughs> you got Randy Orton's bulletproof. And the match was so fucking weird because they would like be doing the fucking match. And then in the middle of the match... They'd stop the match and cut to an overhead view of the ring where they'd yes. project like bugs, cockroaches, and maggots onto the ring for reasons. It and it this. totally broke the pace of the match. Yeah. And the match itself wasn't great. And to make matters worse, he lost. First off, that match should have been a triple threat with Luke Harper in there. Yep. And they shouldn't have done the bug gimmick. And that way. That would have been fine because if you really, if you just had to put the belt on Randy, you could have had him pin Luke Harper, and then yeah. that's fine because you, you've protected Bray Wyatt. He didn't get pinned for the belt, and Randy's now champion, and you didn't have a bad match where you projected bugs onto the ring. Right. This um, it it really encapsulates like the failures of of booking Bray Wyatt, not the failures of Bray Wyatt, but the failures of booking Bray Wyatt illustrate and are emblematic of a lot of our complaints with that era. The previous creative regime, yes. Yeah. Um, um, where the the correct decision was often right in front of them, but they yeah. refused to do it. They'd rather until, make a dollar their way than $10 anyone else's. Until their backs were against the wall, and um, we got the Firefly Funhouse match uh, during covid Yes, and that was that was probably the the most memorable piece of the uh, fiend run was the Firefly Funhouse match, which again Bray Wyatt and John Cena colliding at WrestleMania, but uh, in a much different way than uh, yeah. than their previous collision. Uh, it was a cinematic match, which was something that. They Basically, to... was was born in COVID out of necessity, and uh, it was very interesting. A lot of meta references. Bray Bray in his creativity, and in his um, in his meticulousness, put he said, "This is an opportunity. I'm going to put together something extra special." Um, yeah, it was less a wrestling match and more of a like avant garde experimental film <laughs> yeah um i guess for better or worse i've i've talked to some other people who've watched that match who don't like it as much and i'm like i man i didn't love it as much as you do I, as i recall you liked the match a lot more than i did i applauded the creativity but it wasn't enough of a match for me <laughs> that is true um but um as I, like a as like an extended promo piece or like a backstage vignette, I think it works perfectly. And there's a lot of really interesting stuff in there. Like the the NWO Cena was a trip. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was a really good um, just kind of uh, exploration of a lot of, of a lot of wrestling uh, history. Yeah. And a lot of Cena history. Yeah, a lot of Cena's history, a lot of Bray's history. Um, you know, obviously, 
uh, Wyndham Rotunda had a, a great deal of knowledge and respect for the history of professional wrestling. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's very obvious in like everything he did. Um, like, like I made the references to Waylon Mercy, who was a, uh, wrestler with a kind of similar gimmick to the original cult, cult leader Bray that he obviously took a lot of inspiration from. And, you know, he paid homage to, to Waylon a lot in, how he dressed and how he wrestled in those early years yep. and you know all the stuff with the firefly funhouse all the references to his character's history and including huskus the pig which is a dig on his husky harris character mm -hmm. uh which is the the gimmick he was saddled with before yeah. he, he came up with bray wyatt the obligatory first the obligatory i don't know what my uh who i am yet debut character yeah. Which, I mean, again, it's the mark of mark of real uh, talent, real legends that they can take that they they'll start off with just a really generic gimmick, and they will move well, they'll move on from it. Kane started out as uh, Jerry Lawler's evil dentist <laughs> before he was repackaged as the fake Diesel. <laughs> and eventually, the third gimmick stuck. <laughs> stuck good and it's just it's the mark of you know that's those are the things that'll stay in history um and yeah so i i again kind of summing it up here um go i want to say go watch uh his return promo that's really i think it's a really um great promo kind of uh where he just talks about how he feels in relation to the wwe universe you know the fandom yeah, um, go watch the Firefly Funhouse match for the highs. Um, I will say, go watch, go watch the Hell in a Cell match in that red Hell in a Cell <laughs> with minimum visibility, just to see, like, just so you can understand what, how, how far it, it went down. Watch, um, you know, his debut entrance as the Fiend from I think it was that year's SummerSlam. I don't remember the year off the top of my head. Um. Watch. watch the shield versus the Wyatt family. Wyatt family triple threat from Elimination Chamber 2014. Watch his match against Daniel Bryan at the Royal Rumble. Both of them, uh, mm -hmm. both as the Fiend and as Bray Wyatt. Uh, watch his media match against Cena at WrestleMania 30, and you know again, kind of see how that was so clearly the wrong decision. And uh, you know another moment I'm going to throw in there that. Um, you know, like it's a moment where he re another moment where Larry got his flowers from the uh, WWE audience. Uh, the segment he had with The Rock and John Cena at WrestleMania 32. Uh, fast forward through The Rock's incredibly drawn out entrance where he lights his own name on fire, and um, right. just just watch as this uh, the biggest audience that they've ever had in a building um in the face of one of the most popular wrestlers in the history of that company chant for the other guy in the ring <laughs> to the point where the rock had to stop and acknowledge the chants and put Bray Wyatt over um mm -hmm. you know that felt like that could have been the start of something and they just never 
they never went all in on the guy. And even when they tried to, they would either get cold feet or immediately make the dumbest possible decision you could. <laughs> hey, and yeah, watch it. Watch the story. Um, remember him and carry yeah, it forward. Yeah, I mean, he, he lived basically a third of his life in the public eye, essentially. Yeah. Um, and you know that's that's a you you watch a a young boy become a man essentially, right before your eyes and go through the struggles and the trials and the tribulations and um you know unfortunately you you watch them go far too soon yeah so don't forget um, every day is precious tomorrow is not promised live life and uh, you know. If you have people in your life that you love, let them know that you love them. Love them every day because you never know when you, you're never going to get the chance again. Yep. That's that's it. That is that is it. Um, on a lighter note. <laughs> yeah, we do have to mo- – we do want to move on here. Um, we're spending our time uh, taking a few minutes, probably a shorter one because there's not too much to talk about in this. Uh, but we do, our feature is the Blue Beetle. Blue Beetle. Um, it was all right. Um, yeah. It was. It was derivative of Iron Man in some ways, as kind of expected. Um, but it wasn't like super derivative. Like a lot of the visual flair with the helmet stuff is the same. Mm-hmm. But um, I think the, the, the story is kind of unique. Yeah. yeah, story elements are are fairly unique. Um, although you could say, oh well, weapons company tries to develop super weapon and is stopped by person who has prototype of that weapon, and you would be correct. But if you kind of boil it down to the base elements far enough, like if you let it reduce far enough, you can basically get every movie to conform to the hero's journey so <laughs> you hit him with the reducto ad absurdum um yeah and you miss out the whole family dynamic of it um i i didn't even really think a lot about of it in the context of like iron man as i was watching this mostly i was thinking about it as like in the context of james gunn's other movies um because this was a big thing was this was his dc film debut yeah this was well I mean, it's not, he didn't direct a movie or anything. And honestly, uh, I've, I've seen a few articles where the director said that, you know, he didn't really have a whole ton of input or influence over, you know, the decisions on the movie. That that explains some of the, like the, um, not confusion, but um, some of the reception that I got as I was watching this was like, this doesn't feel like, uh, it doesn't have the the personality of a James Gunn movie. Like he has a very, he obviously has a very uh, certain type of humor that he likes to put in his movies and in his TV shows. Um, and I don't think that was, I didn't see as much of that here as I saw with something like Guardians of the Galaxy, with something yeah. like Peacemaker. Um, this is the first like movie in his canon, I guess. Like the DCEU is no more; it's now the DCU, and this he considers this to be the first DCU movie. 
Um, mm-hmm. I don't know what the next one he's going to have more involvement in is. Um, but I think he just, he, from what I've read, he let the director just kind of realize their vision for the movie. And it was, it was fine. It was definitely, I think it's definitely more of like a, uh, movie that, you know, does proud by the Hispanic people than like flaming hot. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, I think, uh, yeah, from what I see, like a lot of, um, the story elements, the filmmaking elements, the design elements, um, are things that I think resonate uh, with a lot of uh, Hispanic people. I yes. just my feeling on it. Having as, having as been tangentially uh, involved with a Hispanic family for uh, about three years of my life, I, I have some inside information on <laughs> Hispanic households, <laughs> and I saw a lot of I saw a lot of that household in in this. Uh, <laughs> Obviously, it's a little bit different because they're all, it's not a monoculture, you know. Of course. This family's Mexican. The family that I was involved with was Ecuadorian, so they're different cultures. But there, there's some some common threads throughout. Yeah, they run through a lot of those that. areas. Um, partially. It, so I think part of that that extended to was the way the story was told and the way the movie was shot. Um, it yeah. is very... It is very colorful in in that uh, in that kind of way. I think of see the first thing that jumps into my mind uh, is just <laughs> I think of Spy Kids. Like, I think of Spy Kids. Um, I like. Shark I don't Boy know that I think of Spy Kids necessarily. It was interesting because like the city they're in is like it's like very Vibrant. futuristic. Yeah, like it looks like a cyberpunk kind of city but all the technology is like present day and like just outside the city is like quaint suburban homes right um yeah they definitely had the you know and that was to kind of there's a little bit yeah a little bit of incongruency in the visual design there Mm -hmm. to push the uh the slick corporate villains yeah Um, susan sarandon is completely wasted in this movie yeah her character is just the worst all her dialogue is either expository or super banal <laughs> and it's almost i feel like it's almost intentional that they just gave her not like just zero motivation no no like real motivation um she was given a like a paper thin um, and of course she's whitey and she's yeah. the only like white person that's her, featured prominently in the movie yeah like her goal in the movie is get revenge on her brother and make a weapon because making weapons is good. I think her motivation is to make money and she sees a lot of money in the Omec. And the conflict is that when her brother was running the company, he pulled Tony Stark and said, we don't make weapons anymore. And she thought that was dumb like Obadiah Stane. And so when she took over the company, they go right back to making weapons. Sound familiar? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I I guess it's a thing from the comics. 
I don't know. My brain said when they so the well, villains... no, Omac was. I believe Omac was invented by Batman. Oh, as okay. like a a satellite that like kind of like could could help him minority report and stop crimes before they happened. That makes a lot more sense than having the army of the one man army corps. Um, but I don't know. Part of my brain wants to say you should you should have just named it Olmec. <laughs> um, but again, different. I I think Olmec was Peruvian. Uh, well, I mean his his character was like Lieutenant something or another. Um, yeah. He's from uh, some South American country where there was a civil war going on. Yeah, with child soldiers, of course. This is partially partially Iron Man, partially uh, Metal Gear Solid 4, um, <laughs> partially uh, Spike Kids. No. Um, yeah, so the, okay. the, the, plot is, the plot is pretty straightforward. Finds the suit. Suit becomes his friend or, you know, bonds with him. Um, tries to save the, the daughter love interest. The niece, yeah, rather. The, the, yeah, the love interests just completely forced. Like, mm. there's no real reason why these two should, should like each other. Yeah, there's and a lot of... <laughs> it feels like they never really explicitly say how old she is. But, you know, just kind of the way that it's positioned and, like, the way she's introduced, it seems like she's, like, been involved with the company for a while it just kind of feel it felt to me at least that she's like way too old to be dating this kid who just graduated college yeah um and jolo's okay in this yeah um he does, the he does one fine. complaint i have with kind of him and in, in uh, him being in this movie in general is why hire known karate guy actor if never use in fight scene. Yeah. He's got, he has the action choreography experience, um, but they gave him the, the black Panther treatment where once he's in the suit, the fight scenes are um, mainly CG driven. Yeah. And he never like fights just as uh, Miguel. No, not Miguel. Oh my God. Why am I blanking on his fucking name? <laughs> I know the last name of the family is the Reyes. Yeah. Um, and Who's I, Jamie? Jaime. 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 Yep. Um, he never fights as Jaime. Like there's a there's a brief moment where he puts up his dukes, but then he like closes his eyes and flinches. Like, are you really ne- totally not gonna have him fight anyone in this entire movie? That's a that's that's easy hero points. Um, have your guy fight when he can't when he doesn't have his powers that's all classic movie. yeah um, and they kind of drag out so a lot of a lot of my complaints with this movie revolve around underwritten and underdeveloped characters um kind of like been there done that plot threads and a lot of weird kind of story inconsistencies yeah yeah um or or like plot contrivances i guess is the better way to put that because like so 
It's the, a power. Uh, <laughs> uh, as we go, through, uh, we, we, we can't learn. really go. I can't explain that too much without getting into spoilers. So, okay, yeah. so we'll overall, spoilers. I would say that it's an okay movie. Um, I wouldn't necessarily rush out to see it in theaters. It's it's definitely the best DC movie in a while, and I think mm-hmm. in the pantheon, compared against most of Marvel's recent crop of releases, it's it's probably better than a lot of those. Um, maybe Guardians Three is is a little bit better. Um, but number two ain't bad. Yeah, and if so, at the same time. If it's not jumping out at you, um, you don't have to. The movie to will not convert it. anyone. The movie is not strong enough to to like win over anyone who was really skeptical about it. I'm not strong enough, universe. I can't do it. Um, so yeah, I would say see it if see it if you're already <laughs> feeling interested in it. Um, yeah, if you were interested, I don't think it'll disappoint you. But if yeah, you weren't, it won't win you over. That being said, spoilers. Um, All right, so the plot contrivance I want to talk about is um, when he doesn't have his powers. So he oh okay he comes back to to save his family because they're about to the evil corporation's about to raid his family's home and when I, they've dragged them out on the lawn, uh, they're about to to execute them uh, presumptively, and he comes back to to save the day. And he could have saved the day in in a much cleaner way that would have prevented the easily predictable uh, plot thread of him being captured. But they need to capture him so they can drain his suit's power to power the Omec. And for like a hot second, I thought I was like, "Are they gonna do the Return of Cooler ending, where he just Powered has so much so much heart?" That he overloads the Omex. <laughs> uh, they didn't choose to do that. No, no. This power drain thing was to both um, reestablish the villain as credible because he tussles with the villain earlier in the movie and, and easily handles him. And had he not been a pussy, could have prevented the second half of this movie from happening by just killing the guy. Yeah. <laughs> Who ends up dead anyway. So it's not like he saved a life. <laughs> no. Just that guy got to live for a little longer before... Just a lot suicide. a lot more people died, including his father, as a consequence of not killing him there. Yeah. Um, um, I mean, and you could say whatever about the character. You know, his but anyway, his yeah, so they just... They drained the suit so he can't have powers so the movie can last another 30 minutes and his family that uncover the original blue beetle tech can have some stuff to do including oh i have to talk about the power glove so, yeah we got to definitely talk about the power glove like, this, so this cannot wait so they the uh the brazilian niece or whatever of mm-hmm. susan sarandon i don't want to try to figure out how that works but um her dad was the original blue beetle he could not bond with the scarab Apparently that was another dude that he knew, and they don't really explain that at all either. But yeah. um, he, he he studied the scarab and kind of tried to reproduce some of his tech. So they they gear up on weapons, and you know the grandma has has the After, minigun that you <laughs> maybe see. Maybe a little too late. Um, yeah, 
they yeah yeah so like yes all this arsenal. shit including i almost forgot about it. so all this shit including a beetle-shaped tank was very was, effective beetle-shaped tank as it turns out yes the herkimer battle jitney of beetle-shaped tanks yeah. that's, a, that's the second mystery men reference of the show <laughs> <laughs> blue beetle could have been don't no, test me or i'll make a third <laughs> yeah <laughs> um yeah so they have like this this very powerful tank all these but if we can yeah if we can re yes so and like the where where this becomes uh a story incongruency is the brazilian niece and uh george lopez which and jaime shout out, shout out to george lopez's character he brought steals it steals the show he did he did bring it he's he's the best part of this movie and i was not expecting to say that because George Lopez has has his shtick, right? You know, he he kind of has the oh, Mexicans weird man, (laughs) like that's his shtick, and he he does that a little bit here, like he's recognizably George Lopez, but it's it's enough of a departure from his usual material to be refreshing, and he's kind of been out of the public eye a while. Um, But anyway, so George Lopez, Jaime, and uh, lady love interest are all at her father's estate where this equipment lies. So Jaime flies off to be a superhero. Um, And then they're like, so how do we get back there? And they take his beat up Jeep or his beat up truck back. Um, But problem with this is that lady knows (laughs) that these weapons and this tank are at the house they're currently at. They know the family is in danger. At no point does she, she, she turn to him and say, hey, I've got this beetle-shaped tank and all these weapons downstairs. Maybe we could use that and help Jaime or save your family, you know? But no, that, that, that would prevent the big reveal in the a couple scenes later. Um... Also, I gotta talk about the power glove now, which I was yes, I was getting around to, but you distracted glove. me. So, of these weapons, you have you have a, a minigun that has like disco ball tiles on, it, on yeah. it for some reason. So you can have the joke of the grandma who's who's secretly badass. Yeah, she um, was a revolutionary or whatever. Um, the sister, who sister character, I kind of went hot and cold on about whether or not I enjoyed her inclusion in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, equal parts annoying and useful um, as a character. She picks up what is literally just a Nintendo Power Glove that um, they barely repainted and yeah. fucking it makes hard light constructs. Cool and all, but it's literally just, she holds it up and it's the fucking Power Glove. And I can't take it seriously because it's the fucking Power Glove. It's so bad. Yeah. It's, it's like, that is not just like a bad prop. That is like one of the quintessential like bad props of movies. If it was done on purpose, it's genius. If it was an accident, come on, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, see... Hacker Man from Kung Fury, <laughs> who also uses it to great effect. Um, so, yeah, that's so that she can have a big uh, holographic fist and she can do one hit. 
she can she can punch a guy when when a guy needs to be punched when mm-hmm. when Jaime's back is turned so she can have her hero moment. Yes, uh, I will say there was one fight scene which I did uh, particularly enjoy in this, which was him. Um, it was in the tunnels when he finally gets his powers back, and yeah. he just the the very kinetic, very brutal fighting style in that scene uh, was very enjoyable to me. Yeah, like the action wasn't bad when it was happening. Mm-hmm. Like it was it was fine passable action. You just didn't get a ton of it. Yeah. I it was an interesting choice also. Um that kind of the the interplay in the action scenes with between the Scarab and Jaime um that they went a different direction with that from the comics as I understand them. Um I could be <laughs> I don't, different. I, I don't, don't know enough about them. Yeah, I don't know enough about. I don't think I've ever read a Blue Beetle solo comic. All I know, in fact, I can Beetle, say that with certainty. Yeah, all I know <laughs> of Blue Beetle is what I've seen from like Young Justice and yeah, that's JLA. that's that's it. That's all I know is yeah. Young Justice and, Blue Beetle. Yep, and what I know from there is that like it's almost sort of like a Venom thing where the Blue Beetles in that series is like constantly in his ear, like telling him to t- take the most extreme measures. And and just destroy everything because it as they say in this it's a world destroying weapon, um, so it's trying to like fulfill its purpose at all times and it's in conflict with um, its host, in at least in the other shows where he's like I don't know, I, keep me from uh, just destroying city blocks while I fight. Yeah, I I, I understand why they would kind of maybe not take that approach because. If you're constantly, if there's constantly an argument on the screen, you know, it can get a little draining. And we all know how hit and miss that worked in the Venom movies. Yeah. So they made the choice to really not include the Scarab as any kind of character. Only there is like Fee from Skyward Sword. Although I, they kind of, they give the Scarab a little bit of, I won't. Maybe character is is a bridge too far, but like it has logic that's in conflict. So, like we said, the scarab wanted to kill the Omec. the guy who would be Omek yeah. at the midpoint of the movie because it saw it as a threat that should be eliminated. And Jaime was like, "No, don't kill him. Yeah, killing's yeah. wrong. We're not killers." And you're like, "Okay, so that's gonna be." a little bit of a back and forth there until, you know, they kind of fully sync up, but <laughs> that doesn't, that's not quite how it happens. Cause when yeah. it happens and Jaime is ready to kill this dude for real now, for no goddamn reason at all, the scarab's like, nah, man, chill. We're not killers. Yeah. Like they flipped the script and it's like, and it, they didn't build to that. They didn't earn that. They didn't like there, there was no, there was no like setup to that being the case. Like it was a predictable cliche because you like, you know, all right, he's, he's probably not actually going to kill this dude. Um, but like you could have had him like, just not be able to go through with it. Any of number of other twists or, or like surprises that would halt him. Maybe he saw, he sees the locket that he, 
that the bad guy has. Yes, yeah, so you could have see, you could have had him see the locket, and then you could have had him explain his backstory instead of like having the scarab like show him via flashback In or a reverse you know first flashback. Or maybe also, or 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 perhaps you could have had him had the scarab instead of like at some point just show him that like instead of like stopping him from killing him like a hard stop like a soft stop be like wait hi may this this dude might not be what you think he is right um which would have been the fine yeah Um, and also not have that script flip moment which is a very movie thing to have happen mm -hmm. so i get why they did it but it works better when it makes sense yeah and it works better if you used to have uh, Jaime's arc be like he's increasingly like getting out of control himself, which we never got a lot of. Like if he starts becoming like he has that fight scene, but it doesn't really escalate to the point where I would believe he was a, he would just merc dudes. Yeah, like he beats them up and they're going to have very severe injuries from which they may never fully recover, but they're not likely to die. <laughs> right. Um if we saw him like getting more and more brutal as as the rage and anger like from losing his his father kind of starts to build on him. Well, so the and rage and anger. Point. So no, the sadness from losing his dad is what led him to like sync up with the scarab. Like so Yes. That was the reason we couldn't have him save his dad was so that we could have the moment where his ghost dad tells him that he's right where he should be and that this is his destiny and he needs to carpe diem and seize that day. Yeah. Um, it was <laughs> his uncle being shot at and he very clearly scampers away and is not dead. But yeah. we're meant to believe that Jaime really, really believes he's dead and that causes him to fly off the handle on this dude. Um, which he also could have just, just had like... I don't know if the scarab would reasonably have that power, but he could have been like a uh, trajectory unlikely to have caused <laughs> yeah, damage like there. Like, I don't he's know. probably alive. It's so. kind of nitpicky. I'm spending a lot of time on this relatively minor nitpick, but I feel like if, if that's going to be part of that character, then there should be consistency or there should have been more explicit development of that relationship. Right. It just needed more or, or, of, or of like the character of the scarabs or its motivational shift. Cause like the only real shift that happened, like the only events that happen between when the scarab wants to kill the dude and when the scarab doesn't want to kill that same dude <laughs> who's now done more bad shit. <laughs> Yes. Um, the only things that happen is he gets captured and they they have their little sync up moment and then they beat up some goons in a tunnel. Those are literally the only three things that happen between those two events. And at no point does the Scarab be like, nah, gee, I don't, I'm not bloodthirsty none more. Yeah. If, and if they synced, if, again, if they synced up, they shouldn't be, like, differing. They should be on literally the same wavelength. Right. Um, yeah, so definitely a, a botched sort of uh, finish there. 
Doesn't uh, ruin the movie, but feel that's one of the it, it's a very exemplary of like kind of how this movie was written not poorly but kind of lazily in some spots and it yes. feels like we we just we're trying to hit a lot of the notes that are on kind of like the blueprint of a modern superhero movie especially an origin story one and we, we got to get to those points we got to have a, a family member die and we got to have him, you know, come in the Learning. grips of his equipment. Yep. And like, and they don't do like a training montage, which I think would have fit Jolo's Perfectly. character a little bit better. And you could have kept the movie. You could have had the movie be even a little more lighthearted than it was. Because for the most part, it's a pretty lighthearted movie. Um, and when they try to make it a little more serious, it really doesn't stick. <laughs> because mm -hmm. it's been so lighthearted and they, they interject levity into it. And it's just, it's impossible to take George Lopez seriously. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Like, I, I don't know if you had like a training montage of like, he doesn't know how to use his powers, um, but he's a very, he's one very studious and two, he has a very resourceful family and you do the <laughs> montage like that, where they're all collectively trying to figure out how this thing works. And I think there were some scenes kind of teasing that in the trailer. And I think that would have been perfect. Because like you said, a lot of a lot of Jolo's character is his relationship to his family members. And how, you know, and they, they say it all the time. Uh, you know, we always get back up. We always do. We always find a way to get through it. <laughs> Basic movie making. Show don't tell. He has this. He has this scarab. Instead of going to Brazilian lady, how about they knuckle down and they figure out kind of what's going on with this, and they, 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 yeah, you know, they some, do the training montage. Comedy, they figure some... you can have, yeah, you can have some comedy. You can have, you know, instead of having the characters, you know, pick up weapons and you know, assault on Dragon Keep at the end of the movie their like big contribution moments can come during these training sequences where they kind of, you know, figure out how to best utilize that power or come up with like, you know, a training apparatus that really kind of whips them in the shape or whatever. And like, you know, demonstrate their individual skills. I mean, if you want to have it pay off later in the movie, that's fine too. In fact, that's, that's, that's good. And you know what? Here's here. I, again, I, we always love, I love writing these sorts of scenes. You want to make it like a good thematic payoff to this whole thing and have the family be able to do stuff at the end, right? You play it, I get, I'm, I'm going to draw right from the Iron Man playbook where um, their knowledge of his powers, right, and their knowledge of his <laughs> capabilities, they can use that to exploit the weakness of the, uh, the bad guys who only right. use it for the power. Um, yeah, I thought they were going to do something like that at some point in this movie, and they just didn't. Um, and I don't, I, you know, I'm not necessarily going to criticize them for that because then I think it would have been, you know, more derivative of Iron Man, and people would have mm -hmm. called it out for that. But like that would have been a fine way to kind of call back that earlier stuff. And I feel like a lot of this movie, they didn't do a lot of setting up in the beginning stuff that gets paid off. Um, yeah. And, like, I feel like that's 
you know, typically that's a recipe for a stronger movie. And like connecting the front and back half is, is just super important. Yeah. And it helped. I feel like you could have with some minor tweaks, this movie could have been pretty darn good. Um, I think they just kind of budgeted their time in a way that wasn't the strongest. And the villain was utterly forgettable. And I'm kind of sad that Jake's not here on this because as soon as I saw the villain, I'm like, oh, Jake's going to hate this movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's Another mirror match. <laughs> okay. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah. And again, these fight scenes are very, very CGI happy affairs. Yeah. Um, but passable in quality. Like it's not, I think it's a, People no, the, yeah, over the black the Black Panther mirror match was a lot worse. People over hate the. Uh, oh my god! I completely blanked on what I said. People over hate the CGI and Flash, uh, but like this was better than that. Um, yeah, and yeah, like it. It's. Uh, sort of, I think they did a good job of differentiating their capabilities, although they kind of like. Interestingly, they borrowed from Iron Man 2 a lot because they, they had the energy whip effect for the, the Omec there. Yes. And they kind of had a little little bit of shooty-shooty and, and whippy-whippy action. And it's like, <laughs> hmm, I feel like I've seen this before. <laughs> Feels familiar. Yeah. So, yeah, if you watch a lot of these movies, you may have seen a lot of this before. It may, may be very familiar to you. Yeah, it doesn't break any exciting new ground um, I guess it's it's neat if well, I mean, it's kind of neat that like you have a Latin American or Mexican even uh, superhero and like in a movie that was fairly original and and well done. It like dodges a lot of criticisms that happen with a lot of these representational casting decisions, where it's like, oh, you know, you're just you know race bending an existing character but you know blue beetle has been portrayed for a long time as someone of hispanic descent and Mm -hmm. you know they they put a movie together around it and they kind of made it a movie about family yeah they gave they gave a up-and-coming actor a chance to star in a, a major motion picture and possibly you know franchise off of that yeah, and, I can't so. imagine that they're not going to bring this back if this is explicitly the first in another universe uh, attempt. Yeah, but I also don't know how much Warner Brothers is willing to lose before they put the kibosh on this universe attempt. That's also true. Um, and that's kind of where where a lot of these movies fall. And uh, I don't know if there were two post-credit scenes. The mid-credit scene is... Again, uh, almost another one where it, it should have been like the final scene of the movie right. uh, where her the love interest's father is alive but trapped in, in like the Phantom Zone or some fucking shit. Mm-hmm. Um, it, doesn't, it didn't lead into, it didn't hint at what's next or any right. like cross, like the uh, fucking... Jason Momoa didn't show up to talk to him about the Justice League initiative. Yeah. Um, This was just, there will be a sequel if you want it. Yeah, and 
uh, we'll we'll see what the the next DC. I mean, I'm sure they're all mapped out. I just can't be bothered to remember. But the next DC release, we'll see how that builds to to whatever capstone film they're creating here. Uh, like I said, this wasn't a bad movie. Um, but I'm I'm kind of a little. I feel like superhero fatigue is is set in for me a little bit. A good superhero movie still gets me excited. Um, yeah. But like a lot of this paint by numbers, like we're still trying to milk that that Marvel formula from decades ago. Uh, yeah, and it's just gonna get fewer and farther between until you when you strike gold. Yeah, I. In, in some ways, it makes me pine for the days of yore when you weren't guaranteed to get superhero movies and. Oh. They weren't all guaranteed to be good, and when when they were, even if they were only like kind of good, you yeah. were like, "Oh boy, we're I'll cooking with it. gas now." Yeah, they didn't make my hero, my favorite hero, look like a complete goober. Absolutely, X- I'm going to be watching this on repeat. X Men may have had one of the worst lines in the history of cinema. With, do you know what happens when a toad gets struck by lightning? The same thing as everything else, but. God damn, was it not a bad adaptation of the X-Men outside of that? <laughs> and nope. who we was that exciting times. And then a few years later, we got a Spider-Man movie that didn't suck. And that was wild. <laughs> yeah. And then X-Men got a sequel. And it was actually genuinely good. And then Spider-Man got a sequel. And it was arguably better. And then they both got other sequels that were not, we're not there. as good. Not, not, not good. <laughs> not good at all. <laughs> so what we're saying is, make a second one. Don't make a third Blue Beetle. Exactly. That's the lesson we delivered to little kids. Uh, and I think that's going to be a wrap on episode three eighty one of the Saturn Studs podcast. Um, don't know if Jake's going to be taking paternity leave from the show as well. So I won't guarantee that he'll be back next week, but uh, we'll try to get him on. Yeah. And we'll, see, we'll see if we can't get him on. We'll see, we'll see if we can't get him on anyway. <laughs> um, but until until then, uh, be well, stay safe, and party like it's 1995. Peace. Bye bye.